This is an ABC podcast. This is the WA Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Radio WA. And happy Friday afternoon to you. Well, you are certainly going to get around Western Australia today. Shortly, you will head to the south of the state, to Denmark, to have a look around Brad Skegg's farm. And he's pretty busy at the moment. He is right in the middle of the hemp harvest. We'll see how that's going and what sort of markets he's exploring. And then from Denmark all the way north to the West Kimberley, and you're going to meet a young ringer who hails from Manchester in England. I wonder how he's enjoying the gig as a ringer. You will find out just before the news at one o'clock today, so I hope you can stick around for that. It is six past 12 here on the Country Hour on the ABC right across Western Australia. Well, farmers in the wheat belt towns of Corrigan, Narragin, Wickapin and Cabelling and surrounding areas roughly 200 kilometres southeast of Perth are keeping a very close eye on the weather, hoping to avoid any fire flare-ups this weekend. There's a high to severe fire danger in the area today, with temperatures close to 40 degrees. Winds are in a northerly direction, around 20 to 30 kilometres an hour, and they'll be tending northwesterly later today. There are showers and thunderstorms forecast for this evening, and if you're under one of those storms, they could bring between sort of 20 and 40 millimetres of rain. All those details for you during the cross to the bomb just after half past 12 today. Now, obviously, the communities in this area are still processing the devastating fires that ripped through the region just last weekend. The losses are still being assessed. But earlier in the week, you heard up to 1,700 sheep had been killed or euthanised in the Shire of Narragin. And in the same region, up to 5,000 pigs died or had to be put down at one of Westpork's grow-out farms. And then over in the Corrigan Shire, up to 1,000 sheep were killed or euthanised. And those numbers may increase as the vets continue to monitor the welfare of the livestock in the region. Lee Ballard is the Narragin Shire President. Lee, how is everything today? Yeah, look, thanks, Linda. It's, um, the weather's certainly uh, has made a bit, bit on edge today with the wind swinging around back around the north again. Um, we're fairly confident we've got it contained and we've got the crews out that we need. Um, the bit of the bit of weather coming through a bit later on this afternoon is the is probably the the worry with it, with increased winds and this um, with this front coming through. Yeah, what are the current weather conditions? Yeah, look, it's certainly it's it's, it's at um, twenty to thirty kilometres an hour winds from the north, um, which it's it's been from the southwest the last four or five days since the fire started. So it's just managing the the unburned country and uh, and those trees that are still alive. So you'd say there's a fair bit of anxiety. In the community today, oh, don't be excited. We're fairly. I think we're fairly. Um, we're fairly covered on on all fronts at the moment. Um, it's just it's contained, and we're, we've got the numbers out there, um, and we've got backup if required. Okay, so those those plans are in place. Have you sort of prepared for a worst case scenario with fires cranking up to dangerous levels again? Is that sort of the the the, the plans oh, that are in it, place? It's certainly part of the plan we've done. 
um, and that's really more about the uh, the crews, the surrounding crews, ready to ready to come on board if they get called in. But we've got some good numbers on the on the fly ground now, and and it's being monitored from all areas. We've been monitoring it fairly closely for the last four days and know where those hotspots are. So um, we've got crews that are currently sitting there at the moment and and able to call more in if required. All right, so you've done everything you can at this point. What about around the Shire? I hear there are still some parts without power. What's the latest, Lee? Yeah, Western Power have got in and done what they can so far. They're still working today, to my knowledge. Um, there's, it's mostly uh, the houses on the fire ground itself, which are still getting... We're just replacing power poles is the uh, is the time-consuming bit, but they've certainly uh, got plenty of crews there doing that at the moment, which is great. Um, so I'm hoping that soon... All the power we restored. And what about the water? So the water um, on the on the eastern side of the fire, there was some damage to the water pipe, the main scheme water pipe. Um, water Corp are there. They started yesterday. They were working today and over through the weekend, and they should be able to replace that bit of piping and um, and get the water supplies back on again to the to the south of the region. And have you been able to find homes adjustment for all the sheep that have been affected by these fires? Yeah, to my knowledge, most of the stock in, from in the fire ground has actually been been moved into uh, into adjustment, which has been fantastic. We've had a really good um, support from surrounding areas for adjustment, and to my understanding, most of the livestock from the fire ground have actually been put into adjustment or onto, uh, onto other stubbles. And you know, everyone's so keen to help in situations like this, but what do you say to those who might be wondering, you know, what they can do even over this weekend? Yeah, at the moment it's just it's, it's we're still monitoring the fire until it and until we know what this weather pattern's gonna do this afternoon. Um, it's just a matter of monitoring and watching. From a health perspective, there's there's gonna be a lot of requirements over the next week, two weeks, four weeks. And that's really where we're gonna um that's where the conversation's gonna come forward to saying, Well, we need some just some hands to do this or some hands to do that. It's I suppose that listen to remember that, that it's still a bit raw for the guys that have actually just lost everything in that fire ground. And they've got to, they're still trying to process it all. So um, there's not much we can do straight away. It's getting the fire absolutely controlled and contained and, and hopefully put out, and then it's into the next stage. Yeah, I can only imagine, you know, what the, the community is going through. How's everyone holding up? Yeah, no, pretty good. Well, there's certainly some... Uh, the, 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 a lot of the volleys are starting to... A lot of these volleys have been on the fire ground since Sunday morning um, and living on minimal sleep, so... Um, I'm hoping that once we get through tonight um, and the fire gets a, bit, a, a, safer, a safer level again, um, some of these guys can get some sleep and, um, and try and, and, um, and get some recuperation some, and some rest. Um, the guys that are actually in the, that have been affected, they're certainly, they're certainly a bit much the same. A lot of them for a lot less sleep. But it's, um, it's, it's, it's not too bad at the minute and we're just going to keep assessing that and, and following that up. All right. Look, thank you so much for spending some time here on The Country. I appreciate it, Lee. No worries at all, Brenda. Lee Ballard, he is the Narragin Shire president and, yeah, just keeping an eye on the weather, obviously, in those communities, not just Narragin, but the surrounding areas, Corrigan, Wickerbin, Cabelling. And, uh, yeah, as Lee's saying, just still coming to terms with what happened last weekend, but just keeping that eye on the weather 
for today and into the weekend too. 12 past 12. You can be part of the conversation too. It's 0448-922-604. That is the text to have your say this afternoon. 0448-922-604. It is 13 past 12. Well, further south now, where producers in Denmark and Bridgetown are slowly coming home after a pretty volatile weekend too. But it's not just the fire damage they're worried about. Wine growers are looking for signs of smoke taint after winds blew from the weekend's fires onto neighbouring vineyards. WA Wine Association CEO Larry Jorgensen says he's been getting plenty of calls but it is too soon to say what may come of the vintage. I have spoken to a number of producers in, in Denmark and in the Bridgetown region, um, and at this point, there is no clear picture. Uh, it, it's a situation that has a lot of variables involved, wind direction, proximity of vineyards to the actual fire, the length of time the smoke hangs around. So there really are a number of things, and it's really far too early to make any uh, determinations on, on the impact. So if that's the case, what, what are the first steps that producers might take to find out whether smoke's done any damage to their vines? Well, what they would do is take berry samples from their vineyard. We'd send those samples off to the AWRI for them to analyse for the presence of the volatile compounds. The wineries can also do small batch ferments, so ferments of, of berry samples in, in buckets and taste and smell the resulting wine because if there did happen to be smoke taint occurring, then it would show there. But as I've said, it just really is very early. There's every likelihood that if there is an impact on, on any of the vineyards in the area, it, it'll be very site-specific and regional. It's been the case in most of the fire events that have occurred in Australia that um, the, the incident of smoke changes is, is actually quite quite rare. So everybody will just um, take a bit of time, I guess, to collect their thoughts and then do those proper objective analyses. Describe for me what the consequences are if a wine is tainted. What does that mean for the final product? Well, it depends on the degree of tainting, and I suppose it also depends on the style of wine that might be made from the grapes. Red grapes, which are fermented with the skins, tend to extract more of those volatile compounds because those volatile compounds tend to be contained within the skin and in the inner membrane immediately adjacent to it. You know, people might make decisions you know, not to make as full-bodied red wines to reduce the length of time that the skins are in contact with the juice during fermentation. They might make a rosé style out of, out of red wines or they might determine that the risk is, is too great and, and that they wouldn't make wines those years because if grapes are significantly affected, the resulting wine is not pleasant. WA Wine Association CEO Larry Jorgensen speaking to Angus McIntosh. 16 past 12 and you're staying in this part of Western Australia for a little bit longer because the WA hemp industry is right in the middle of its harvest. There's only a handful of hemp growers in the state who grow this versatile crop for both fibre and seed production. Brad Skeggs farms at Denmark, so 420 kilometres southeast of Perth. And he's in his second season of harvesting and processing hemp seed to sell online. 
We sell three seed um, varieties. We've got lightly ground seed, we've got roast, lightly roasted seed, and we've got hulled. So the hulled seed is the softer stuff that people use for smoothies on their breakfast cereal. The roasted is tastier with the oils coming out of it, and the raw is for when you really want to cook. So if you want to like a tempura or crust on your, on your fish, that's what that product's for. And so how do the economics stack up when you're doing all the processing here on site? Is it a difficult journey to get from your harvest all the way through to a final product that you can sell retail? Yeah, so it, it's, um, look, we are really a cottage industry. Um, so we have all the, all the processing requirements and it's a, we're definitely learning the componentry as we go. But we see some self-sufficiency in owning the vertical supply chain and control over our own destiny. So now we're enjoying it and we, we learn a lot every day. Hemp gets a bit of a bag as this crop that on some on the one hand there are people saying you can do just about anything with it you can make hemp oils hemp honeys hemp cakes all sorts of stuff and then others like yourself who are more or less just selling the seed in various forms where do you think that balance is and where do you imagine hemp will take as a more permanent place in the market oh you definitely can do all the things you mentioned from our perspective we think that we have to stick to our knitting as we are working the whole vertical supply chain as seed for food you mentioned cakes well our effectively our hulled seeds you know you grind them in some fashion you've got hemp flour we just think that we need to focus on our knitting and there are other people doing everything from as you say animal bedding through to hempcrete building materials clothing and uh, we're, we're focusing on our bit and it's a highly nutritional food our view is the world is looking for protein and in and to a lesser extent from animal sources so we hope that we're in a niche little place there obviously you're surrounded in this part of the world by some very highly productive agricultural enterprises going all the way from livestock through to dairy through to broadacre cropping through to horticulture how does hemp fit in alongside those kinds of operations and are there synergies there that either yourself or others in wa should be looking to take advantage of I think probably the synergy is that all of us are looking toward a different future, a more regenerative agriculture future and um, looking at soil health. So that's probably the area that we all share and the area that I discuss with my neighbours, as you say, doing completely different things like raising beef and so on. We're, all talking, we're talking about that same sort of stuff, you know. What sort of effects does a hemp crop have on the soil? What, what sort of things are you putting in and what are you getting out of that crop at the end of the day? Um, I think it has a, a positive impact on your, um, uh, on your soil health. It is definitely a fantastic rotation crop. And the other thing about hemp is it is super competitive in spring, which is the main weed growing season. So it's a super competitive weed suppressor. As a cover crop, which was in the old days what they used to do, yeah, it, it, I think it's an uh, environmentally uh, great crop. So from where you're standing, still relatively early in terms of the business and the hemp farm, what sort of obstacles are you coming up against and perhaps... What sort of obstacles would you perhaps like to see less of in the future in order that we might see more hemp operations? Oh, good Lord, weed jokes. That, that's the thing that really kills me. And everybody's a comedian and they think that's the first time that uh, somebody's come up with a joke. So we certainly, I certainly have to um, listen with someone else's ear when that happens. The other interesting thing is that there is uh, legislative inconsistencies. The um, uh, Deep Herd Minister... Um, is definitely focused on improving the um, you know, in growing hemp industry. And we've just got some early growing pains around uh, legislative testing requirements, um, certifications and so on, which would be really good to have, um, have streamlined. 
Denmark hemp grower Brad Skegg speaking to Angus McIntosh. 21 past 12. I'm Bevan H from Manjima and you're listening to The Country Hour. On ABC Radio WA. Good afternoon. It is so good to have you along today. You can be part of the conversation anytime you like on the text 0448 922604. Shortly, after news headlines at half past 12 today, just looking at the price of meat and some of the reasons why the cost of meat keeps going up and up and up. Uh, National Regional Affairs reporter Eliza Borello will be in the studio shortly to talk about that and preview her story that's coming up on Landline this weekend. First, though, Australia's prawn and barramundi farmers would like to see all 15 recommendations from a federal parliamentary inquiry implemented into the aquaculture industry. The inquiry's report is called Supporting a Strong Future for Australian Aquaculture, and it was tabled by the Federal Agriculture and Water Resources Committee just this week. Kim Hooper is head of the Australian Prawn Farmers and is very happy with the way this inquiry has been conducted, particularly when it comes to listening to their concerns about red tape and biosecurity. We're very excited, I'll be honest. This particular inquiry really did listen to industry, including ourselves, on a wide-ranging number of issues that have impacted on the growth. And by freeing these recommendations are quite practical and constructive and will free up, hopefully, the growth and potential that Australia can reach. One of the recommendations, in fact, the first recommendation I note pertains to biosecurity, is that specifically Mm. looking at white spot or is it a little more broad than that? Their recommendation in this particular inquiry is broader than that. We've already got a prawn import risk assessment analysis happening right now in relation to prawns, and that is ongoing at the moment. But this particular recommendation is broader to the seafood community, especially for barramundi. So this is for imported non-salmonoid fish species to make sure that the, the import risk analysis for imported of these products are appropriately rigorous and up to date. And certainly barramundi, there is a huge risk and they have the science behind to show that there is massive risk coming through at the moment with imported, so not Australian farmed, but imported barramundi. And this needs to be looked at. Does that give you a reassurance, especially on the importance of biosecurity? Do you feel like the government sees that it's the issue that it is for your industry particularly? For my industry in particular, no. I still feel that even with the prawn IRA being undertaken at the moment, they're not understanding the science that is is coming through. The risk is still there. Prawns need to be either cooked at the border or there needs to be at the very minimum a lot more resources put towards enforcement and compliance. We're not against, as a prawn farm industry, we're not against the import of prawns. What we're saying is we need to reduce the risk. There's always going to be a price point and a market for imported prawns. In relation, though, to this broader recommendation, I think that it's a stepping stone, something that we went through a number of years ago to even get to this point where there is a recommendation that the department needs to assure these other seafood sectors that the importation of non-salmonoid fish species Uh, are appropriately rigorous and up-to-date. And they need to take that very seriously because biosecurity risk is the number one 
risk to Australia's food security. What about the other recommendations? The other recommendations are across quite a broad range, which is great to see. They've really listened to industry. So, for example, red tape. There is a lot of approval processes that aquaculture per state by state is different. Uh, there's a lot of duplication. Uh, obviously, we're an Australian national body, so we've got prawn farms across states and it's all very different in relation to approval processes. So one of the recommendations, ten, number 10, uh, is the introduction of a one-stop shop, which is something that I had spoken about in my public hearing uh, for models of regulation management. That recommendation would really assist aquaculture to grow by just going to the one spot understanding what to do, getting those licences, adhering to those licences and all the high regulatory approval processes that we go through. And how much weight do you think a House of Reps inquiry and its subsequent report really carries? There are a lot of these carried out for various Mm. industries and and whether or not all the 15 recommendations are supported by the Mm. federal government. Mm. Even if that's the case, how confident are you that, that these things will be implemented and will make a real difference? It is an unfortunate reality that a lot of recommendations that come out of these types of inquiries gather dust. But in this particular instance, if you have a chance to have a look at all of the submissions that were provided, all saying the same things, I think that there is a lot of momentum behind this and it's not going to go away. So I would expect realistically that these recommendations will be taken up. Kim Hooper, Executive Officer of the Australian Prawn Farmers Association, speaking to Ali Felton-Taylor and her lobby group, along with the Australian Barramundi Farmers Association, welcomes all 15 recommendations made in that Federal Parliamentary Inquiry Report on Australia's aquaculture industry. 26 past 12, just before an update from the newsroom, a reminder for you that you don't have long to nominate for the ABC's Farmer of the Year competition. And remember, despite the name of the awards, you actually don't have to be an agricultural farmer to win it because the competition has categories for students, researchers, community leaders, and all sorts of different roles within the agricultural sector. 2021 Farmer of the Year was James Brown from the Pearling Industry here in the Kimberley. And he is strongly encouraging you to nominate yourself or someone else for an award. It's meant a lot and it's built over the time as well. I mean, this this, this does have some leg- legacy and, and it's something that, that can kind of grow and, and develop over time and you can utilise it in a whole range of different ways. Initially, i got to say, uh, it meant a lot for me relatively quickly because we'd just taken an absolute beating uh, for for you know a month or two prior to that, with losing all of our stock on the east coast, and you know everything that was going on with uh, COVID interrupting all our work in 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 Broome and our operations, and so you know we 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 were at some kind of low point. You know we'd just lost a million, oh sorry, about four million shell to those floods. So you know my first response, I think, was to kind of get all choked up, and then after that, just having someone reach out to you and go hey, uh, this group of people actually thinks you're doing a bloody good job. Gives you just a, you know, picks your head up a little bit and gives you a bit of bit of belief again um, and just sort of helps you get through that stuff. And so that that was the sort of the short-term benefit of it. Um, and 
the whole process of you know getting everyone together in Canberra, bringing all the candidates uh, across, and and bring us together for a workshop a day before the actual um, ceremony as well was just great. You know, to be able to meet other people in the same sector as you, albeit ag, um, from all over the country uh, that are striving and super passionate about what they do, uh, whether it be berry farmers from Tasmania or broadacre farmers from, from uh, South Australia or the guys from Blaze Aid doing all that incredible volunteer work for people that have, you know, suffered catastrophic bushfires. I mean, it goes on and on. These people are inspiring and and to be able to network with them and to be able to share some time with them and, and do some kind of exercises with them on, on, on you know, uh, the workshops prior to it was really, really amazing because it takes you out of your little bubble and it exposes you to a whole range of other exciting things and other passionate, excited people. And, and that, that has a massive motivating effect. Um, so that alone I think is fantastic. Oh, well, you've got to do it then, don't you? That's the 2021 Farmer of the Year, James Brown, who runs two pearl farms in the Kimberley and in New South Wales, and he was speaking to Courtney Fowler. Nominations for this year's award close on Sunday night, so you don't have a lot of time, do you, to nominate yourself or maybe dob in someone you know. For more information, just do a search online for ABC Farmer of the Year. It is half past 12 here on the Country Hour, shortly off to the Bureau of Meteorology to check weather conditions right around the state and a couple of markets to get through today as well. There's the two-day Mount Barker cattle market, so the wiener sale yesterday, the trade sale today. Tracy Kilner will go through that for you. And just before the news at one, Danny Burkett along and he'll be looking at this week's wool market, which is down a little bit. It's been up the last couple of weeks that I can remember, but down a little bit this week, and Danny will go through those details. Tony Carr is here. Tony, what's in the headlines? Good afternoon, Belinda. A man in his 70s has died of COVID in Joondalup Hospital. The Premier Mark McGowan says the man had underlying health conditions and there was no record of him having been vaccinated. There are 99 new COVID cases in WA, including 51 local cases and 48 related to travel. The Deputy Prime Minister, Barnaby Joyce, says talk of people destabilising the Prime Minister is fanciful and a distraction from the work of the government. Scott Morrison has been hit by a damaging Cabinet leak after revelations he suggested introducing the Coalition's Anti-Corruption Commission legislation to Parliament in a bid to win over Liberal MPs threatening to rebel over religious discrimination. Sources say it was met with a hostile response considering how close the election is. And opposition leader Anthony Albanese says the nation's domestic spy agency has not raised concerns about any Labor candidates for this year's federal election. The ABC has confirmed Beijing orchestrated a plot to bankroll New South Wales Labor candidates in this year's federal election. The operation was detected and stopped by the Australian Security and Intelligence Organisation. Belinda, there'll be more news at one o'clock. Tony, thank you for that update. 29 to 1. You're with Belinda Varischetti on the Country Hour on ABC Local Radio, WA. Uh, Very shortly, taking a look at what is driving up the price of meat in the supermarket. National Regional Affairs reporter Eliza Borello in the studio very shortly to talk about that. And um, if you want to see more about it, you can check it out on Landline. It is back this weekend, Sunday at half past 12 
on ABC TV. 28 to 1, off to the Bureau of Meteorology now. And Luke Huntington is with you. Luke, there are severe thunderstorms forecast for today for, well, quite a few different areas. The Midwest Gascoigne, the Goldfields, Midlands and Great Southern regions. What do they look like today? Yeah, so as you mentioned, we have issued that um, severe thunderstorm warning uh, through those areas. Um, and it does look like the heaviest falls uh, will be through that uh, great southern central wheat belt and then right down to the south coast um, between Albany and Esperance. Um, Albany itself will probably just be just to the east of the heavy rainfall area and um, it looks like falls could be around the 20 to 40 millimetres with isolated falls up to 60 millimetres if you do get a particularly good thunderstorm moving over. So the main risk is uh, heavy rainfall and but you couldn't rule out um, a damaging wind gust with a storm as well. So uh, that's uh, mainly during uh, this afternoon and evening, and that'll uh, continue uh, throughout tomorrow as well, but it'll shift further east. Um, and then we've got sort of fire weather conditions as well through the Great Southern and then down to the south coast. It's uh, very hot through that area today uh, with temperatures in the near 40 to low 40s, um, and particularly through the fire areas near uh, Narigin, the temperatures are around 39 at the moment and the winds have um, switched around to a northwesterly around uh, 30 kilometres an hour and it uh, looks like there's a southwesterly due to come in uh, late this evening so that's just with the trough passage moving through and then as you get into tomorrow through that fire area it's a little bit uh, cooler tomorrow with southwesterly winds so temperatures maximum temperatures will probably be around uh, the 30 degrees uh, through that area. Um, and then, as I said, the trough moves east, so the focus for the heavier rainfall does move into eastern parts of the southwest land division and through the goldfields region. So places like Esperance, uh, Kalgoorlie may be the focus of the heavier uh, falls tomorrow. Uh, once again, probably looking at around 20 to 40 millimetres, um, getting up to 50 to 70 um, in isolated areas near some good thunderstorms. So, um, there's, so there's definitely some chance of some good falls over the next couple of days. Um, um, and that trough will move further eastwards on the Sunday period and most likely uh, go into the Eucla and into the interior region. But by the Sunday period, the thunderstorms would have weakened out substantially. So um, the main risks for those heavier falls are the Friday and the Saturday period. So it is looking pretty good, uh, you know, once we get into the weekend, I guess, for those fire-affected areas from last weekend in sort of around that Corrigan and Narrage and Wickapin sort of area. Is that how you're seeing it, Luke? Yeah, so um, so today obviously we've got the um, the hot northerlies, northwesterlies, east of the trough, and then tomorrow we'll see that trough move through the area. So um, much cooler winds behind it, and as I said, temperatures um, dropping down to near thirty, and that's for the for the, the pretty much the weekend as well. So fire dangers um, getting back to sort of the sort of the higher level. All right. And further afield around the state then into northern and eastern parts, how's it looking this afternoon and into the weekend? Yeah, so um, through the Pilbara region, we did see some good thunderstorms yesterday and it did um, create some localised flash flooding, particularly near the uh, Tom Price area. Uh, today looks a little bit different. I don't think thunderstorms are going to be as active today and uh, they should be moving a little bit quicker today. So I think the risk of sort of those heavier falls and flash flooding is less likely today through that Pilbara region, although there will be showers and thunderstorms uh, throughout during the afternoon and evening, uh, extending into 
the interior into the and into the Kimberley region throughout the Gascoigne. Uh, and then heading into the weekend, uh, similar story. So um, we'll see showers and thunderstorms continue throughout the Kimberley, the Pilbara, um, parts of the Gascoigne region, the goldfields. And uh, once you get into Sunday period, uh, there could be a risk of some heavier falls through southern parts of the Pilbara once again and through uh, northern Gascoigne parts. So they could be looking at once again uh, 10 to 40 millimetres of rain through that area. And uh, by Monday, we'll see uh, the trough redevelop near the west coast once again. So um, thunderstorms are a risk just along the western Gascoigne and through parts of the Pilbara once again. And Luke, just backtracking to this afternoon, uh, a list of those warnings. Yeah, so the the main warning we do have out for today is the severe thunderstorm warning. Uh, that's for the Great Southern, uh, the Central Wheat Belt, the parts of the Gascoigne, the Goldfields, uh, the Central West, and down along the south coast between Albany and Esperance. So um, the warning is on our website if people want to have a look at that. And uh, we do have a strong wind warning out for the Esperance Nuclear Coast uh, today and some strong winds out for uh, the south coast and the southwest for tomorrow. And we've also got the fire weather warning out, uh, extreme fire danger for the Esperance area and the severe fire danger throughout um, throughout parts of the Great Southern and then down into the South Coastal District. Luke, there was a bit to get through. Thank you so much for it. I really appreciate it. See you later. See ya. It is 23 to 1. ABC Radio. Fire ban information. Yeah, due to the risk of fire, a total fire ban has been issued today for a number of shires. So starting in the lower southwest region, that's for Boyup Brook, Bridgetown Greenbushes and Donnybrook Bailing Up. And then also in the Great Southern region, Albany, Broomhill, Tamberlup, Cranbrook, Denmark, Esperance, Noangarup, Jeremungup, Katanning, Cogenup, Plantagenet and Ravensthorpe. So you can't do anything that can start a fire. You can't uh, carry out any hot work such as grinding, welding, gas cutting, no off-road use such as four-wheel drives, quad bikes, bobcats or similar activity except for agricultural purposes. And if you need more information on it, just go to the DFIS website and search for total fire bans. Also, due to the conditions today, a number of shires have imposed a harvest ban, and that includes the city of Albany, and then the shires of Beverley, Bridgetown Greenbushes, Brookton, Broomhill Tamblup, Esperance, Jeremungup, Katanning, Kent, Lake Grace, Narragin, Pingley, Ravensthorpe, Westonia, Woodnilling and York. And if you'd like some more detailed information on the harvest bans, just contact your local shire. That's for the implementation and the lifting of harvest bans. Just a quick note from DPIRD, so the Department of Primary Industries and Research and Development, they're working in conjunction with local government authorities and they're trying to support the distribution of feed. So this is things like oat and hay for livestock. So they're going to be trying to help distribute that to the fire-affected areas. And if you're in that case where your farm's been burnt, then just contact your local government authorities and you should be able to get more information about accessing that feed or any other animal welfare issues. And State Agriculture Minister Alana McTiernan is in Corrigan today, so she'll be listening to those people who've been fighting the fires and helping coordinate the recovery, and obviously then she'll be better placed to help uh, next week, I would imagine. 
Just quickly going through the rainfall in the last 24 hours in the Kimberley, Anna Plain Station 25 mils, Bidjidanga 5, Doongan 8, Kimbolton 17, Kununurra at the checkpoint 25 mils, Nita Downs 21, Parry Creek Farm 24, Port Smith 18, and then some more lovely rain for the Pilbara. Sheila Plains 14, Coolawanya 15, Emu Creek Station 60, Glen Flory Station 32, Karajini North 31, Cooline 6, Learmonth Airport 15, Marble Bar 42 mils. Normally it's associated with really hot temperatures, but in the last few days, Marble Bar certainly had some great rain. Mount Stewart 12, Newman Airport 22, Onslow Airport 7, Parabadoo Airport 24 mils, Sherlock 6 and Wailu 38. And then in the Gascoigne region, Kerry Downs 25, uh, Mekathara Airport 9, Mingar Springs 23 and Tangadee 12, Three Rivers 15 and then in the interior, Prenty Downs had 6 mils. And then for the entire Southwest Land Division, there wasn't a scrap of rain at all, but I've got a feeling that on Monday when we read out the rainfall figures, there might be a little bit to get through and hopefully it falls where those fires are. Yeah, it certainly sounds that way from what Luke was just saying earlier. Thanks for that, Richard. It is 19 to 1 and a couple of markets to get through just before the news at 1 o'clock. Uh, the wool market, Danny Burkett going through that and, of course, you are going to be off to Mount Barker in the Great Southern shortly to get the yarding and the prices for the two-day Mount Barker cattle sale. Tracy Kilner will go through that very shortly before the wool market and the news at one. But National Regional reporter Eliza Borello has caught up with some people at the Mount Barker sale yards too because competition at the moment is about as fierce as it has ever been. Eliza, what did you find out? Hello, Belle. Well, I think the main thing I took away was that I have never seen so many smiling farmers. Uh, the mood around the place was absolutely electric. The only people who weren't smiling, and you can see this in our story on Landline, we picked it up on our cameras, is the people walking away from the pens, frustrated that they didn't get to buy. Um, it's quite palpable, that disappointment, the frustration that they had. Erica Henderson is the assistant manager at the Mount Barker Sale Yards, and she agrees the market is unbelievably good for producers right now, but she thinks it might soften soon. We've never seen prices like this um, in the sale yards. I've been here for 12 years, or not quite 12 years, and uh, in the last sort of 18 months, the prices have continually risen. Um, producers should be making um, a lot of money this year. When you go to the supermarket and you look at the prices of beef on, on the shelf, beef, lamb, pork, chicken, they're all the same, the prices haven't increased um, all that much. So for the beef industry to continue to rise, eventually something's got to give and what will give will be the, the buyers at the other end. Uh, when producers are making a good money now, it needs to stop. It needs to stabilise and stay where it is. Eliza, what did some of the farmers have to say, those that were selling the cattle? I mean, these are pretty awesome prices, so most of them must be very happy. Yes, I chatted to Alita Park. She farms at Lake Muir, about 350 kilometres south of Perth. In January, she sold 90 weaner steers for an average of $2,200. That is huge. This year was a first for me in that I sold my weaners or some of my weaners at just eight months old and uh, carrying around 300 to 95 kilos and above. And which was just amazing. I, it was, uh, and it was because of the uh, the year that 
we have had with such a good rain. But Belinda, watching prices continue to rise is making Alita Park nervous. It's all well and good having the prices go up and up and up, but it also means that you just you're never ever sure of what's going to happen next. Whether one day it'll be up and the next day it'll be it'll hit rock bottom, and we don't want that. But um, so I'd rather prefer stability. Yeah. And despite her worrying about where the price is going, it is worth mentioning Alita Parks had a 97% pregnancy testing rate this year. She was pretty chuffed about that. And on the flip side, it's not good news if you're in the shop trying to buy some meat, is it? How are the feedlot owners and the meatworks going at the moment? Because I imagine the margins are really tight. Did you get a sense that some meatwork companies might be struggling at the moment? The consensus is the abattoirs are probably the ones absorbing some of the costs here. They're the ones buying the cattle at these huge prices. We spoke to Mark, uh, Mount Barker butcher Josh Liebig and he said his suppliers are passing on the costs to him and he's then having to pass them on to customers. But there's a feeling that not everyone is and there are whispers of concern about how long meat processors can keep taking those price hits, Bell. Now, from a shopper's perspective, and you know, I was in there last night, looking around. I mean, it's everywhere through all the aisles, but it's really obvious in the meat section in the supermarket too. Is there a nationwide shortage of meat right now? Is that why the prices are high? There was a week or two in January where I think everyone would agree we did have a meat shortage in Australia because so many meat workers on the East Coast were having to isolate because of COVID. But as the Omicron wave has passed there and the rules about who can and can't go to work have been smoothed, the meat shortage has eased, but prices are high for retail meat because we had a drought, as we know, several years ago on the East Coast. It's taking time to rebuild those herds, so supply is still tight. We then have more recently had great rain across Australia so the cattle that we are producing now, everyone says it is premium cattle. It's some of the best we've ever sent overseas. International demand is high. They are lapping it up. Uh, consumers locally have also got a taste for meat right now, the data shows. Um, and probably, you know, they've got that bit more cash in their pockets from not going overseas on holidays. Some people experimenting with recipes. There's, I mean, it's, it seems so granular discussing this, but this is what people at the high levels of the meat industry are saying about why people are paying top dollar and, and they are continuing to pay it right now. And so what what does Meat and Livestock Australia think is going to happen to the market and in particular the prices? Scott Cameron is a Meat and Livestock Australia strategist. I spoke to him and he says retail demand remains strong. People spent 3.5% more on red meat in the last quarter alone compared to last year. He, you know, As long as customers are prepared to keep paying those premium prices, I don't think we'll see them get any cheaper. And on the cattle price side of things, he doesn't see, he, he doesn't see that bu- bubble bursting this year at least. We're into the third year of the herd rebuild now uh, this year, so, so those drivers around supply are going to ease. So we're going to see more supply uh, of product coming through processing um, this year. We're forecasting an increase of slaughter uh, rates of about 11% uh, this year. But then also, you know, to, to, to counter that, we're also going to con- we're also going to continue with strong demand uh, internationally, but also domestically as we see the food ser- service sector um, you know, start to recover this year, which is, which is high, high value product. We actually see all forecast continued, uh, continued pro- buoyant prices. 
Belinda, that was Scott Cameron, a strategist for the meat industry's marketing and research body, Meat and Livestock Australia. Eliza, thank you so much for that. And your story is online now. I've just had a look at it here in the studio. Easy to find. Just search Cost of Meat ABC and you'll see Eliza's story. And, of course, you're on Landline. This At weekend? Half past 12 on Sunday. It is back after, what year is it? This is the, the 31st season. 31st season. Oh, my goodness. Don't miss it. This Sunday, Landline on ABC TV at half past 12. Eliza Borello, thank you for that. You'll see Eliza on the TV this weekend. 12 minutes to one. The Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Local Radio WA. Getting to those markets shortly are yarding in prices at Mount Barker, of course, the two-day cattle sale. And then a wrap of the wool market for you. Now, last week you heard that some donkeys are selling for more than $2,000. But those prices were for donkeys that are already used to working with livestock. But the buyers were producers looking for reliable guardian animals for their livestock. So what's the going rate for your average feral donkey? Jim... Quadrio occasionally sends feral donkeys to the Mushay markets. He owns Granite Peak Station. That's in WA's southern rangelands. And he says the market can be quite volatile. We did have uh, 11 donkeys at Mushay Monday just gone. Whilst there were two or three that made good money, the, the average was bought way down, you know, with the other half. So it was probably bordering on break-even, a little bit disappointing. We did send a, a load away in no, uh, November last year. Again, they were just trapped opportunistically during cattle mustering. So they sold very well, which gave me the uh, incentive and encouragement to do it again. But yes, it was pretty disappointing the other day. We, we knew, or well, we sort of found out at the last minute, there were going to be a couple of other lots of donkeys in there. And what was unknown was the supply-demand situation. And as it turned out for us, for the type of donkeys we had, certainly the demand wasn't there as was previously. What prices were you getting in November when the donkeys were selling well? And what sort of prices did you get last week? In November, the average was around $1,100. The other day, it was just over 500 You know, it's, it's starting to... Obviously, you know, there's a break-even point. Every property probably has a, a different uh, figure, but for us... You know, we've really got a question whether we'll continue a commercial option of, of controlling them. I understand producers who are looking for guardian or companion animals might want donkeys who have perhaps grown up around stock, say sheep perhaps, or have been trained to live alongside them. What space do you think feral donkeys could occupy within the market, given that they might not have been around that much stock? I'm not too sure about that one. Um, what, what I do know is they quieten down very quickly. I'm not sure how, how quickly you could adapt them to running with sheep or, or whatever. Ours are always running with cattle, so obviously that's that's not an issue. But I think, you know, it depends on probably how young they are when they're sourced and what time as a supplier, you know, I can put into them, getting them ready for market, you know, what what the demand is. I generally like to see the industry grow. You know, I, I don't want to have to spend $2 on a bullet to have to cull them when there's a commercial option. And, and, and I don't like, no one likes having to do that. But that's what ha- reality is. But at the same time, the supply chain has to have all have their fair share of profit along the way. That is Granite Peak Station's Jim Quadrio speaking to Bridget Herman. 
Eight minutes to one. Hello, I'm Sally Sara. Join me for The World Today, a special report, fearful, frustrated and feeling let down. Staff at an outback hospital describe the violence they're facing on an almost daily basis. Some are scared for their lives. Is enough being done to protect them? And koalas are now officially an endangered species, riddled with disease and their numbers in decline. Can we save one of our most beloved animals? Those stories coming up on The World Today. Going through the results of the two-day Mount Barker cattle market now, 1,130 excellent quality wieners were yarded for sale yesterday. That's down 556 from last week. And at today's trade sale, 484 mixed quality cattle were yarded, and that's up 93 head on last week's sale. Tracy Kilner has been at Mount Barker today and, well, yesterday. Tracy, can you start with yesterday's wiener sale? Hi Belinda, heavyweight steers again dominated the yarding, selling to feeder buyers to a top of 616 cents. All categories remain firm to up with feeder and restocker buyers keen to secure calves. Medium weight steers topped at 634 cents and heifers were in demand with restockers paying a top of 620 cents for medium weight Angus heifers. Wiener steers weighing over 380 kilos returned 420 to 576 cents. Steers weighing between 330 and 380 kilos sold from 556 to 616 cents a kilo. Lighter steers weighing 280 to 330 kilos made 560 to 634 cents and weights under 280 kilos returned 620 to 632 cents a kilo. Wiener heifers weighing over 380 kilos made from 500 to 540 cents. Weights from 330 to 380 kilos made 508 to 594 cents. Lightweights between 280 to 330 kilos made from 532 to 620 cents. And weights under 280 kilos returned 584 to 602 cents, averaging 599 cents a kilo. Wiener bulls sold to feeder buyers from 360 to 502 cents to average 415 cents a kilo. Today's yarding of trade cattle was dominated by female lions with young medium weight cows selling to a top of 380 cents while yearling heifers were in demand, selling to 542 cents a kilo. Grown steers weighing 600 to 750 kilos sold for 376 to 388 cents. 500 to 600 kilo weights made from 450 to 476 cents and weights between 400 and 500 kilos made 412 to 494 cents a kilo. Grown heifers weighing under 540 kilos sold for 420 to 484 cents, while the heavier weight heifers made 338 to 434 cents a kilo. Heavy cows eased selling for 300 to 358 cents. Medium weight cows gained returning 310 to 380 cents. Boner cows made 220 to 296 cents, and feeder buyers paid from 290 to 318 cents depending on age and quality. Heavy bulls eased selling for 270 to 336 cents to processors. This has been Tracy Kilner for Meat and Livestock Australia's National Livestock Reporting Service. Tracy, thank you for going through those details. Five to one here on the Country Hour. Earlier, you heard from a national regional reporter, Eliza Borello, going through her story about the skyrocketing cost of meat. Uh, meat and Livestock Australia saying that the retail prices are up 10% per kilogram compared to this time last year. And you can read more of the story about Australia's meat supplies on the ABC website. There's a link for you on the ABC Rural Facebook page to make it easy. And the comments underneath, Bill says, lamb and beef 
is in short supply now that the drought is over. Farmers are holding on to their livestock to increase their herds, and that's normal. ABC happens after every drought ends. Cycles, cycles, cycles. And this in from Sean, red meat still allows for an affordable meal when compared to the rise in all foods. How much are people paying for takeaways? And Chris says, I wouldn't really call $20 for one piece of rump steak affordable. Check it out. Just go to ABC's Rural Facebook page to find that link to Eliza's story. Four minutes to one and to the wool market now. It was down this week. The eastern market indicated down 27 cents to close at 1,422 cents a kilo clean. And the Western market indicated down 49 cents to finish at 1,443 cents a kilo. Danny Burkett, what happened this week? Yeah, all three centres, Sydney, Melbourne and Fremantle, all took a fall this week. Fremantle probably hit the hardest, being the lowest centre trading. Our quotes are noticeably lower than the other two centres. I think what we're seeing at the moment is uh, what's being played out is significant quantities of wool caught at the wharf. Uh, and all the way back through the system, and that is limiting the ability for some of these exporters to trade because money's tied up in stock rather than being brought to the market. In some instances, we have uh, exporters with six weeks' worth of wool caught at the wharf and all the way back through the system. It played out in Fremantle this week. 18 microns, 70 clean cheaper, closing at $20.70. And what I'd like to do is just put that in perspective in the last year and over the last 10 years. So if you look at 18 micron at $20.70 clean, in the last 12 months that sits at the 80% decile, meaning 20% above today's prices, 80% below. If you look at that over a 10-year period, it's at the 75th decile. So 25 above, 75 below. 19 microns also fell 70, closing 16.55. The last 12 months, that is at the 60th decile. And if we look in the last 10 years, that's at the 65th decile. 20 microns off 55, closing at $13.80. Again, 12 months, that sits at the 70th decile mark. If we look in the last 10 years, it's roughly sitting at the 55th decile. 21 microns, 22 microns, both fell 55 clean. 21's on the close, 13.20. 22s at 12.90. If we look at a 21 micron over the last 12 months, today's price sits at the 90% decile mark, only 10% above the time in the last 12 months above today's price. The last 10 years, it's sitting at the halfway mark at 50%. 22 microns, 85th decile in the last year and the 50th decile of the last 10 years. So if we look at those median types over the course of the last year, they certainly are still trading at reasonable levels. Pieces and bellies across the board fell 60 clean. Oddments, we had stones, locks, clutchings, all fell 40 the first day, all bounced back up 50 the next. And lambs, again, are still the highlight of the market, holding their ground while everything else fell around them. So uh, anybody holding spring lambs from last year or any sort of winter length wolves uh, are certainly enjoying a good one in the market at the moment. Who was buying this week, Danny? Well, again, I think we saw technical trading at the fourth uh, largest buy, and I think they may be caught up in a little bit of that um, uh, wharf issues at the moment. PJ Morris taking 15% of the merino fleece wool across the country, TNU 13.5%. Sequoia is a new um, name in Fremantle, 9.5%. And as I said, tech wool the fourth largest buyer at 9 uh, tech wool were the largest buyer in merino skirtings at 21%. So again, the, the normal... 
normal culprits in the market, but um, a reasonable spread. Ten seconds, Danny. Next week? 55,000 bars on the market, Sydney, Melbourne, Fremantle, that will definitely test us. All right, Danny, thank you for going through those details this afternoon. Great to catch up with you. On the ABC, it's time for the news, one o'clock. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.